0: As we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we now come to a section called the Olivet Discourse. And the reason it's called that is because it's a sermon that our Savior preached from the Mount of Olives. And so if you go with us to Israel, you'll be able to see exactly the perspective that he had regarding the temple, the temple complex, the temple mount. And, you know, interesting thing is the longest sermon in the Gospel of Mark Because when you uh, study the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that he highlights primarily the miracles of the Messiah, not just the messages. It's different than Luke and, and John and Matthew. You know, Mark wrote his Gospel largely to the Roman world where there were 60 million slaves. Think about that, 60 million slaves. And so... Mark wanted to appeal to them and show them that he, Jesus, was a servant just like them so they could identify with him. And so he emphasized his service more than he did his sermons, you know, because I think you guys know we can communicate our life uh, through our life as well as our lips. And in Mark, we see Jesus works more than Jesus' words. But here's the thing. This chapter is an exception, It's the longest of Jesus sermons in this gospel where Jesus foresees the destruction of the temple and the end of the age and the return of the Lord. And so just as a side note here, the longest sermon in the gospel of Mark, it tells us this, that this is very important. And it is, you know, we need to know that, you know, the Lord is coming back. He can come at any time now. You know, I was thinking about, you know, just how life is. And you guys know how this is. Don't you kind of wish that, like, you know, whatever, computers would last forever and you wouldn't have to buy a new one? You know, nowadays, I say five years later, your computer's a dinosaur, stuff like that. You know, I was thinking about my truck. I bought it in 1992. I love my truck, but eventually it started wearing out. You know, my body. I won't tell you how old I am, 36, but, you know, when you... You know, it's it's wearing down and part of me wishes, man, you know, you know, but this is the second law of thermodynamics. This is what scientists call entropy. It's not going to last forever. And we're going to see that the same is true regarding the planet that we possess. You know, it's starting to break down. Jesus is going to come and we must be ready. That's why this is so important. And so we begin, first of all, in, in Mark 13 with the observation. It says, Then as he, uh, Jesus, went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and, and what buildings are here. He said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls of these buildings you know and I and I wish I could show you guys some pictures if you come back for second service maybe we'll have something for you but you know the temple uh, was spectacular it was stunning I mean they were these were the amazing stones and clearly when you look at Herod's temple it's one of the wonders of the world of all the things ever made by man in its day you know pastor Chuck he said the temple complex that Herod the great built was one of the most impressive buildings ever in history and it wasn't just a temple it included many other buildings a massive retaining wall around the whole thing and a 300-foot bridge that led up to it and so the construction it was amazing uh, some of the stones were 20 feet tall 40 feet wide they were all cut perfectly at a separate site then transported and joined together just so that so there there would be no mortar no super glue necessary they fit perfectly now, one stone recently excavated in Jerusalem was found to weigh 400 tons. And so, you know, when you go, you're going to see this one cornerstone. Amazing when you look at that. A, a modern-day crane, it can only handle five tons. How did they move a stone of 400 tons? What an impressive building that Herod built. It took him actually 80 years to build it. The gates were 130 feet high. They were made of pure brass. The temple itself, the building, it stood 90 feet high. That's two telephone poles. Josephus, a historian, said the temple was so magnificent that it was visible from 30 miles away, and the gold was everywhere, saturated throughout the building. Uh, Modern-day equivalent would be a trillion dollars of gold. And so the building was impressive, to say the least. And so, you know, Jesus is there. When you look at the context, it's the last week of his life. He's been teaching, he's been going toe to toe with the religious leaders, and he's sent him away with their tail between their legs. And now, as it's about to end, he has a very important message for them. He sets everything up, and as they're leaving the temple, they say, Lord, check it out. It's so beautiful. Maybe the Lord had never said anything about the building. And so they're thinking, well, Lord, what do you think about it? And so the disciples said, check it out. Isn't it amazing? And then the Lord kind of said, well, not really. <laughs> because we look at the observation and then the proclamation. Look what Jesus said in response to them. He answered in verse 2, and he said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, now that's a pretty amazing proclamation. I mean, when you consider the size of those stones and just uh, the value of this temple, why would this be and how could this possibly be? But we know etched in history, of course, Is the year 70 A.D. when the Roman army led by General Titus came and they sieged Jerusalem and 1.1 million Jews died. The soldiers set fire to the temple. The trillion dollars of gold then melted into the crevices of each stone. And it's for that reason that they were commanded by their emperor to take every single stone down in order to extract the gold from the temple and the and the prophecy that Jesus predicted that seemed so impossible, it came to pass, and we know it as a fact. It happened just like Jesus said. You know, and when I was reading this, you know, just as a side note here. Again, I don't want to read too much into it, but one of the things I found about the Bible is that it's so shallow that a child won't drown, but it's so deep that a theologian will never touch the bottom. There's so much here. And, and here's the thing. You know, um, I think it's significant to realize that the stones—the stones—were symbolic of the people, the people who rebelled and rejected the Redeemer. Who they were about to crucify the Christ. They were about to murder the Messiah. Jesus had just, you know, gone, you know, toe to toe with these religious leaders. All these guys, all these stones. The Lord is saying, every single one of these stones will be thrown down. You know, and if you don't really see it that way, it's interesting to me because in the New Testament, the believers are the temple of God, not the church. I mean, you look at this church, and I bet you you're not really impressed with the building. You're like, man, i got to go through double doors, and man, it doesn't look good out there, and all that kind of stuff. And then you go into the building, and you're like, what's up with the building? Well, it's not the building. It's the people. We're the stones. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 you also, as living stones, that's exactly what the Bible says, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, that's us, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so seeing it then, those stones were thrown down. I mean, it's just an amazing prophecy. When you look at their observation, Jesus' proclamation, which then led to an important question look at verse 3 now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple Peter James John and Andrew asked him privately tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled and so you know they, they travel through the Kidron Valley you'll see that too when you go to Israel And they're there on the Mount of Olives overlooking the entire temple complex. And then Jesus is there with the four that seem to be the closest to him when you read the Bible, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and they ask him privately. And you know, it's cool, just again, another side note, uh, are you guys one of those who ask questions? Any of you here? Some people are afraid to ask questions. They're like, well, I don't know. It's a dumb question. There's no such thing as a dumb question, right? Ask questions, man, because your level of learning will skyrocket and others will benefit from it. And so they're asking this question. Um, Matthew 24 and verse 3 actually gives us the entire question, which consisted really of three elements. Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, Tell us when will these things be in reference to the destruction of the temple and what will be the sign of your coming? They knew Jesus was coming back. And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And these are kind of different, you know, dynamics. There's distinctions within these three. And as we continue to study through this chapter, it's going to take us a few weeks to get through it. Along with uh, Matthew 24, I encourage you to write that down. Luke 21, they're the synoptic gospels that all have the Olivet Discourse. We're going to do our best to get a better understanding of these things. Uh, Undoubtedly, they had heard bits and pieces over the years from the lips of the Lord himself, the writings of scripture. They knew uh, a little bit about this, but now Jesus, his radical statement stirred up a desire for a better understanding. And, you know, I I just encourage you, we should strive for that always to, to ask questions and to get a better understanding of Bible prophecy. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but 25% of the Bible is prophetic. And and the most repeated doctrine in the Bible is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know the Bible, if you want to know God's word, you're going to have to know prophecy. And so, you know, Jesus here, he not only gives us signs of these things, but he also gives us warnings and words of wisdom intertwined within it. And so... We have the observation of the disciples. Check out the building. It's so beautiful. And then the proclamation of Jesus says, hey, one day every stone's going to come down. And so then they ask the question, well, what, well, when will these things be? What are the signs that we need to be looking for? And then we have the revelation in verses 5 and forward. Jesus answered them. Notice it says, and he, and he began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear wars and and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrow. We have, first of all, what can be described as general signs of the Lord's return. Um, you know, the, I don't know, you know, when you hear stuff like this, you know, I mean, we all know Jesus is coming, right? You guys know that it can happen at any time. But, you know, you're just kicking back, you know, you're eating Doritos or whatever, and you're watching TV, and then you just hear an earthquake, you know, you hear about the, the, the you know, the, the children, the, the, the famines, we'll touch on all these things. You know, you hear about something in Israel or, you know, whatever, the, the decay of society. You know, those are all signs of the times. The technology that we have, Daniel said that in the last days, people will be able to travel from all over the planet and, and knowledge will increase. That's what's going to happen in the last of the last days. And you start, you know, hearing all these things. And what it is is the Lord, he's just kind of like tapping me on the shoulder as I'm there, just reminding me, hey, son, mijo, I want you to know that I, I'm coming soon. You know, and you hear these things over and over again, and, and it's, it's, a, it's just God's grace in saying you need to be ready. You know, all these signs, our Savior said, will increase in intensity and frequency until eventually the prophecy is fulfilled. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse 8 again. This is very, very important. And Notice at the end of verse 8, it says, These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, the word sorrows in the Greek language, it can literally be translated birth pains. The NIV translates it that way, or birth pains. And for you ladies who have given birth, you know how it is when you were having a child, you know, uh, you you found out you got pregnant, you're just, you know, happy, that days progress, and it can get tough, you know, because they say that you're carrying around all this weight and the baby is draining you of all that energy, You know, but then the pains begin, right? And uh, when it's closer and closer, what happens? Those pains, they increase in intensity. And not only intensity, they increase in frequency until eventually the child is born. And that's the way it is with these signs. These signs, they've always been there in one way or another, but they will increase as the day draws closer in intensity and in frequency. And that's exactly what we see in this world that we live in. You know, this is how we're going to know Jesus is coming uh, again and sooner than we might think. You know, a while back, I was reading an article in which scientists were predicting the end of the age by what they called the shredding of the universe. That's what they call it. And they said this, they said that phantom energy is ripping apart galaxies, stars, planets, and eventually every speck of matter in what they call a fantastic end to time. Now, according to this study, given the current rate of acceleration, this is what they said, our universe will end in 20 billion years. Now, they might be right, you know, but if I had to guess, I'd say they're about 20 billion years wrong, <laughs> And you, and you might say, well, why would you say that, Manny? Well, here here's the reason. I think it's simple. If you're looking for the signs of the end of the age, we don't look to science. We look to scriptures. We don't stand on man's invention or speculation or nature's creation. That's what they would call it. No, we look up to God, his word, his revelation. You know, what does he say about when he's going to come back? You know, I mean, I know this is a silly l- illustration, but when I start you know, my date, and let's just say my wife wants to know what time I'm coming home. Any of you wives like that? You kind of want to know when your husband's coming home. you are curious, right? And so she said, what time are you coming home? You know, I, I know it sounds silly, but, you know, she doesn't ask my car. Like, hey, what time are you bringing my husband home? Or she doesn't ask my shoes. You know, what time is he going to walk through the door, Mr. Van? You know, she, he doesn't do that. No. Who does she ask? She asks me. She asks me. And as far as when God is coming back, I don't ask the scientists. I don't look to nature. I ask God, when are you coming back? Now, the Bible doesn't reveal the day or the hour. We don't know that, Matthew 24, 36. And, and we, we don't know those specifics, but we can know more or less the seasons and the reasons that we would believe that Jesus is coming back, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6, it talks about that. It says, if you know your Bible, then you'll know when this season is. We are expected to know the signs of his return. And as these things increase in frequency and intensity, then it becomes louder and clearer that Jesus is nearer. You know, first thing we see there in verse 6 is that there would be false messiahs. Many will come, he said, in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. And, you know, I, I don't know if you're like, you know, you look at the news or if you do research on things like this, but if you do, you'll find that, in, in, man, it's just crazy. Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Sun Young Moon, uh, Lord Maitreya of England, Yahweh Ben Yahweh of Florida, Rabbi Menikin, David Koresh, On and on and on, Hare Krishna, Majaja Riji. If you remember him, his catchphrase was Lord of Heaven in 747 because he had an airplane. And, um, you know, but then he was exposed, disqualified as being the Messiah. So his mom said his brother was. I mean, you can follow these things. There are so many false messiahs today collectively that their numbers number in the millions, their followers. And just as Jesus said, they would. Deceive many. You know, in the 20th century alone, and here's just the bottom line in just this last century, over 1,100 people of national notoriety have publicly proclaimed themselves to be the Messiah. I saw a special on Dateline the other day, this lady who said she was Jesus, and I don't know if you guys saw it, but you know, just uh, drawing uh, followers after her. Just the manipulation, to me, I think it's really demonic. And so, you know, what that is, we're going to see this, you guys. It's not just that Jesus says, well, I'm going to, you know, make this happen and as a sign. No, he says it's going to happen, and I want you to know this, because really, in all reality, what's going on is, is that because there are these false Christs, these people who proclaim to be the Christ, what it does is it, it reveals the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what, that's what it is. That one day there will be ultimately that Antichrist who will reign on planet Earth. And so, you know, earthquakes, same thing. You know, earthquakes increase and you're like, well, is Jesus, you know, shaking it and punching the Earth? No, our Earth is falling apart. It's just a, a revelation of what's going on. You know, you really look at these things, and I'm telling you, man, it's so clear, wars and rumors of wars. Jesus mentions there in verse 7, and again, in the last 100 years, we have seen more wars than any time in recorded history. According to one article, the world is becoming a more dangerous place, and there are now just 10 countries which can be considered completely free from conflict, according to the authors of Global Peace Index. They said the worsening conflict in the Middle East, Syria, the lack of a solution to the refugee crisis, an increase in deaths from major terrorist incidents have all contributed to the world being less peaceful. And there are now fewer countries in the world which can be considered truly at peace. In other words, not engage in any conflicts, either internally or externally. And there are wars, and there are rumors of wars, Uh, We think of uh, Afghanistan, a reality that's happening now, Uh, Syria, potentially, North Korea, Iran, all that. When you hear that, when you open up the newspaper and you read about these things, it's just another sign that the Lord is saying, just want you to know, I can come at any time. You know, I mean, most would think that the world would have matured by now. You know, it's kind of like our kids. When they're little and they're fighting each other, they're two-year-olds, you know, socking each other or whatever. You know, you kind of expect that, you know, but eventually it's like grow up, you become a mature adult, you live in harmony and peace. I mean, we would expect that from this world, but we don't see it happening. You know, most would think that the world would have matured by now, that there'd be peace on earth. wasn't technology supposed to make the world a better place? And doesn't communication mean community and tranquility? And what we have found is that the exact opposite has happened. You know, we would have predicted that there'd be more peace. Jesus didn't because he knows the heart of man. You know, the Lord here in verse 8, he also said nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, this is interesting because the word nation is the word ethnos, ethnos. And we get our, our English word ethnicity from that Greek word. And and what Jesus is speaking of here is that in the last days, these things would increase in intensity and frequency. There would be racial tension. It would grow. And, and you know, it's amazing. You know, Billy Graham, uh, the great evangelist of our day, uh, he traveled the world. He knew what was going on on this planet that we Possess, And he said that if he could cure the world of one evil outside of its need for salvation, he said that one human evil he would focus on would be racism, for he had seen the devastation of racial tension all around the world. You know, atheists, evolutionists, philanthropists would have said, would have told you that by now things would be getting better, and yet what we find in the 20th century, six million Jews slaughtered in Germany, six million, million Jews, 11 million people dying in that war. I mean, we see the things that took place in Bosnia, the ethnic cleansing, the, the people murdered in Rwanda, uh, 500,000 died in one year. All of that because of ethnic cleansing. And so all I'm saying you guys is that, you know, I mean the world probably would have said it's go the different direction. And let me tell you something. Out of all people, I'm an optimist. I mean some of you here are pessimists. How many of you, you guys are pessimists, right? You see like only the worst. To me, I, I I like to see the best. I like to hope the best. So I'm not giving up. Man, I still want to make this world a, a better place. I'll do whatever I can. But when I read my Bible, I realize that as these things continue to happen, maybe there'll be you know, ups and downs. I'm not sure. But when we look at this, we see that this is the reality of what's taking place today. You know, in verse 8, the Lord also mentions earthquakes. And in the 40s, 1940s, 51 measured earthquakes. Above Richter 6 in the 50s, 475, same machines measuring the same thing. It just took a big jump, 1,075 in the 80s and in the 90s, over 150 earthquakes per year. I had a graphic, and I'm going to do it for second service, sorry, but it had a map of the world, and it was just scattered with all these spots of all the earthquakes that have taken place in the last seven days. And so, you know, some people say, well, it's only because they weren't able to measure it then. Then, no, it's just like anything else, man. Anything else. It begins to break down, it begins to crack, things begin to happen. That's what's happening to our world. You know, there in verse 8, the Lord mentions famines. And, you know, uh, most of us here, we're, we've never really been hungry. Huh? You're like, oh, I'm starving. Dude, you're not starving. <laughs> I mean, you want to know what, what starving really is? I mean, back in the 70s, uh, three prominent scientists told us that we have begun the age of famine. Interesting. You know, in the 80s, we focused on Ethiopia. In the 90s, it was Somalia. 3.8 million people, again, I just trip out on this, million people died in in Congo from 98 to 2004, mostly from starvation and disease. And there was famine in Sudan, you know, where in the year 2002, 6,000 children were on the verge of death, 65,000 malnourished. And you just go to the Horn of Africa, the food crisis, which has affected more than 11 million people, due partly to drought, but primarily to military conflicts. And here's the thing. You know, The real reason for famine is greed. And, and selfishness. And that's why when Jesus comes back, you can take care of all those things, right? Because he'll, he'll replace it with love. And that's what we need. He's what we need. You know, worldhunger.org, I encourage you, just go online. You can check out the things that are going on in Venezuela. Once Latin America's richest country, it can no longer feed their people. Yemen, today, Yemen, and agencies have warned that Yemen is at the point of no return uh, after new figures released by the United Nations indicated that 17 million people are facing severe food insecurity and will fall prey to famine unless there is urgent humanitarian assistance. And, you know, a lot of times we're not in touch with these things because we eat whatever we want whenever we want. You know, we just kind of like bury our head in the sands. We don't realize this is the reality. Afghanistan, Bangladesh, East Africa. According to the World Health Organization, one-third of the world is starving. According to USA Today, 18,000 children die every day of starvation. Think about that. 18,000 children die every single day. Because of starvation and malnutrition, 925 million people go to bed Every night hungry. You know, and I sometimes I'll fast to be honest with you. I'll skip breakfast, I'll skip lunch, but I have a hard time skipping dinner. <laughs> just, I'm just telling you how it is. It's hard to go to bed hungry. And yet there are one billion children, one billion people going to bed hungry every single night. Do you want Jesus to come? I know I do. And the Lord said, these are signs of the times. Oh, Lord, but, you know, we have enough world food to feed the world, but the world doesn't have the heart to do it. Tons and tons of trouble in this world. These are general signs that we need to pay attention to. But as we're here and as we're going through these things, there's a few things I just want to touch on in closing. There's going to be opportunity to testify. Look at verse 9. The Lord said to the disciples, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached, To all the nations, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak. For that is not you who speak; it's not you who speak, but it's the Holy Spirit. You know, we're talking about signs of the Lord coming generally, and then the Lord just then hones in on them personally. He says, "Hey, before the temple is destroyed, you guys got to know this. So you got a mission." and you're going to share the gospel, uh, there will be that testimony. Uh, again, uh, here's something, too. The persecution that will take place when they come after them and maybe even us one day because we, we know stand for Bible truths, um, Doesn't it, it shouldn't hinder us. I've told you guys before that I tell my kids, for those of you that are here, the younger generation, you better be strong because if things continue the way they are, unless there's a radical shift... You will live in a hostile environment. You know, Isaiah 520, it says they call good evil and evil good. But when you're there and when you're persecuted and when you're arrested, the Lord told them, you know what? It's going to be an opportunity for you to do what? To share the gospel, to share that words of of how people can be forgiven and free and experience the love of God. And you'll be sharing those words. And when you're sharing those words, don't even worry about what you're going to say because it's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to speak speaking through you. And so, you know, I, I like to latch on to that sometimes because I'm always worried about, Lord, what am I going to say? And, you know, and so this is different. I mean, they wouldn't have to study. Uh, when we do Bible studies, we have to study. But when we're there, it's the Lord. It's God who speaks through his people. And so there's that testimony that the Lord shares with them, words of warning, but also words of wisdom. And then their loyalty will be tested. Look at verse 12. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And I'll tell you what, man, when you study church history, even church history, you'll find these types of things took place. In the year 64 AD, uh, uh, Caesar set fire to Rome. He blamed it on the Christians and that then then let the lion out and they began to persecute the church. And things like this began to happen then. They're going to happen again later. The loyalty will be tested. And to me, this is the one that breaks my heart. You kill me, that's fine. You know, you beat my body down, that's okay. But when it comes to family, but you see, these are the things that happen. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34 through 37, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And what he meant by that is this, for I have not come, I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now I'll tell you what, you go to Cambodia and you preach the gospel to them and you see this beautiful younger generation, they're coming to Christ. But their parents, man, they will want nothing to do with that. And they will persecute them. They will disown them. Then you have to make a decision. Do you love God more than family? Even myself, coming out of a religion, I received a little bit of that. You know, my aunt, who was a devout Catholic, she said, no. I said, dear Mary, I'm saved now. God has set me free. See, but these are things that will be tested, the loyalty We'll have opportunity for testimony. But then look what Jesus said in verse 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. I don't know about you, but I'm a lover, not a fighter, man. I I don't want people to hate me. You know, but it's going to happen. You know, you have good intentions and sometimes you want to help but they see it as an offense to them and Jesus said this they hated me and they're going to hate you too you know sometimes that's what we experience and so when you're going through that you have a choice man you're going to crumble or will you stand for Jesus Christ and you know, right here it says he who endures to the end will be saved Now, in looking at that, you know, there are some who read this and immediately they backpedal and they would even say, I would even say they watered down the word. This is what they say. They tell Christians this, this, they say, don't worry about it. If you're saved, you'll endure. Don't worry about it. If you're saved, you'll endure. But I would say what Jesus says, no, endeavor to endure. I don't care where you're at, man. Are you going to make it to the end or not? You have to have that heart because we're going to go through crazy things. These are signs of the times. You know, and as you're going through it, here's the thing. Don't let it knock you off track or or make you stumble or fall or or fall away. As a matter of fact, as we go through these things and we see this happening, I pray that it would stir us up. A couple of scriptures real quick, if you want to turn to them. 2 Peter chapter 3. page 1619. Just kidding. Second Peter chapter three, and he's also talking here about the Lord's return. and he says in verse 11, he says, "Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and, and godliness? You know one thing I want to make sure before we go away today, is that you know you don't hear a study about prophecy or the last of the last days or eschatology and you take it away with like information you know like i heard close to a billion people go to bed hungry and you know you got numbers or whatever you have that kind of stuff no and here's where the lord just kept checking me as i was going through this study he said this he said manny has it changed your life has it changed your life i don't i don't you know Praise God for the head knowledge that we might have and some people they love prophecy and they're all into it and that's all they talk about but they don't have any love. And they treat their wives ways that that are not like Christ but antichrist. And they don't parent their children or whatever they you know it's supposed to change our life. Since all these things will be dissolved Peter said what what manner of persons are we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since we know the Lord is coming at any day now, it should change the way we live. That's what Peter says. And then in 1 John, if you would turn over one more book, 1 John chapter 2, and in verse 28. It says this, and now little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him, at His coming. You know, for those of you who are Christians, I, I want to encourage you today. Um, I don't know, not to be weird or legalistic or anything, but maybe I could just say it this way: step it up a notch. You know, let's uh, let's grow stronger let's fall deeper in love with the Lord he said if you love me you'll obey me and so it's for me too I mean I'm telling myself this you know I got one finger pointing that way three pointing towards me right I mean I'm telling myself Lord I want to grow and to be more like you so it changes the way that I live right but but then Maybe you're here and you and you read first John and you're like, well, that's a lot of pressure. First John two twenty-eight is just so beautiful. Look what it says. And now little children. Okay, now little children are cute, right? We love little children, don't you? You guys love kids? If not leave right now okay (laughs) i mean we love kids right that's how god sees us my my mijo mark says it all the time mijo mija i love you you're my little kid you know that's how god sees us and now little children john sees them that way little children abide in him that word right there abide it means remain it means rest in him you know, just in case, I'm not like this, but I know sometimes there are people like this, they freak out when they, oh, the Lord's coming. Oh. Don't freak out, okay? <laughs> rest in Him. As you place your faith in Christ, it's just a comforting thing to know that, man, I'm ready because I'm washing the blood of Jesus. I'm free, I'm forgiven. I will rest in Him. It's not a works-oriented salvation, I'm going to rest in him, and I'm going to remain in him. And as you do that, John says, that so that when he appears, we will have confidence. Imagine that, seeing the Lord, standing before him, having this confidence. Why? Not because you're a perfect person, but because you loved him, and you knew you loved him. Not perfect, but Proper. And when you stand before the Lord, you're not worried. You're not going to be ashamed in any way, shape, or form because you made a decision somewhere along the line. You know what? I'm not half-hearted. I'm not going to be one foot in the world, one foot in the church. No, I give my life to Christ. And as you do, man, God will reward you forever. And so I pray that we would have this our hearts that you would know the love of jesus christ know that there would be an urgency within us as we see the signs of the times and that god would bless you with his love